This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 17. I can't tell you how bad I am ready to start the book of Hebrews. I am ready to get back to verse by verse, section by section, and just let God direct us as we go through a book of Scripture. If you're visiting, visiting with us, we are glad you're here. Um, that's our normal practice, is to go straight through books of the Bible, verse by verse, section by section. Um, but what we're doing right now is, is very important in the life of our church. Over the past four weeks or so, we've been really just revisiting who we are as First Baptist Church. Our mission hasn't changed in the slightest because we've moved into a new space, a new building. We're called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to do at First Baptist Church. That's what we're called to do as believers individually as well. Make disciples. That's the commission that Jesus gave his church, the disciples of Christ. Right now, there's a whole lot that's going on in the world. With Israel at war and awful things going on and just that whole, that whole issue and all the things that we see on the news. There's some Christians this week have been asking, you know, is this a sign of the end? And it's okay to ask those questions. It's right to study what scripture says about the last things. But my question is, what are you going to do if it is? Like, what are we supposed to be doing if it is? And on the, on the, you know, if, if the world keeps spinning for another thousand years and Jesus doesn't return for a thousand years, we're all going to leave this life. Eventually, this life's going to come to an end and we're going to go be with him. If you're a believer, what are we supposed to be doing? If you knew that the end of your life was coming next week, what are you supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be found faithful, making disciples. Jesus called us to make disciples, glorify his name, spread his image to make disciples. So let's pray together before we look at Luke 17, and let's ask the Lord to help us to be faithful in the midst of whatever happens. Father, we do love you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for bringing us together. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these believers. God, it's a, it's a pleasure, a blessing, an honor to be able to serve alongside them. God, I pray that you would be with this situation over in the Middle East and the war that's going on, be with the families who've just endured unspeakable tragedy as this attack happened and all that's come about because of it and all that may come about in the next few weeks. God, we don't know, we don't know anything other than, other than we depend on you. God, we pray that you would do your will, that you would bring peace, but you would also bring justice. God, and we ask that you would help us to be faithful in what you've called us to do, no matter what our immediate future here in Mulvane, Kansas, and the surrounding areas uh, entails. Help us to be faithful where you've placed us. God, and we pray that you'd be with your reading of your word today, and that you would, uh, that you would guide us to know what you would have us to do. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So for the, for the past four weeks or so, we have been talking about how we make disciples, how we grow as disciples. That's the mission of uh, the church at First Baptist, to make disciples of Jesus, to grow as disciples of Jesus. And we looked way back four weeks ago or so in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and what happened there was on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus all at one time in the city of Jerusalem. And we saw how the early church went about discipling all these people 
Like, what do you do with all of these people that have come to faith all at one time? And we looked at it in three different categories in those verses. Worship, connect, and serve. They worshiped, which means they gathered corporately together in the temple courts for worship, glorifying God together. But they also worshiped personally, individually, as they devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. You can't grow in Christ without worship with the body of Christ. You can't grow in Christ without worship in your personal life with God, your daily studying of the word of God, prayer, spiritual disciplines, all of those things. And we also saw that that early church connected with one another in discipling relationships, said they were meeting together in their homes. They were breaking bread in their homes. Last week, we talked about the fact that you can't grow as a believer in Christ, a disciple of Christ without being connected in discipling relationships with one another. And then that church in Acts chapter 2, they also served Christ as they served one another. Acts 2 says that they were sharing with one another as any had need. Today, we're going to begin talking about serving and what that looks like in the life of the believer. We serve because we're disciples of Jesus and the Lord uses our service to glorify his name, which is his highest priority to grow his kingdom, but also he uses our service to grow us as disciples as well. Serving is essential for making disciples and for growing as disciples. Now, when we talk about service, what we're talking about serving one another, as the church did in Acts chapter 2, but we're also talking about serving the community where God has placed us as we share the light of Christ with those around us. And we're talking about serving Christ. It also means living for him, obeying his commands, evangelizing the lost, Making disciples. So there's a lot that's encapsulated in that word, serve. But before we launch off into talking about what serving looks like in the life of a believer, in the life of a church, we need to understand what our mindset, our heart of service must be. Because make no mistake, church, and you know this inherently, service of whatever kind, whatever kind of serving that we're talking about, it's hard. And by definition, it's demanding. And most of the time, it's going to go unnoticed, and nobody's going to thank you for it. So before we all jump in the volunteer line to serve Jesus Christ, we need to understand what a disciple should expect as he or she serves the Lord faithfully in this life. We need to see what our attitude is going to be as we endeavor to serve the Lord where he has placed us and with whom he has placed us. Now this today is, it's a, it's a pointed lesson for all of us. So early this week, I really had, I was going to preach to you about, when talking about service, I was going to preach about Jesus washing the disciples' feet and why he did it and, and just the whole section there in John 13. And I, I may do that next week, but I'm telling you, I really want to get to Hebrews. Um, <laughs> I was going to do that, and I had planned to do that, and then earlier this week, this, this text just uh, came to my mind, and I just had this, this sense that, you know, this is important. All of you people need to hear this. And then, by the end of the week, God showed me my own sin, my own failure, my own heart, my own sin, there's no other word for it, and it was like, no, son, you need to hear this. So even if this is just for me today, y'all give me 30 minutes and let me talk to myself for a minute. 
Because the truth of the matter is, all of us want to be a servant right up until somebody actually treats us like one. So to see the heart of a servant, I want to look at Luke 17 as Jesus himself instructs his disciples. So we're going to focus our attention on verse 7 through 10, but I want to read verses 1 through 10 so you see this amazing context that leads up to what Jesus says in these four verses, 7 through 10. So let's begin in verse 1, reading uh, in Luke chapter 17. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. Okay, get it? Verse 1 and 2, don't cause other people to sin. And then 3 and 4 say this, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. You're called to rebuke your brother if he sins. And if he repents, look at the command, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, command, you must forgive him. That's hard, isn't it? Can you imagine? We don't even know how hard it is. So think about it for a minute, okay? Eight o'clock in the morning, they sin against me. I'm sorry. Okay, I forgive you. 10 o'clock, they do the same thing. I'm sorry. Okay, I forgive again. 12 o'clock, they do the same thing. I'm sorry. Okay, I forgive again. By the fourth time, I'm done. I don't want to fool with you no more. Seven times in a day is a lot. When we think about this, it's impossible. And the apostles knew they couldn't do it either. So in verse 6, or verse 5, it says this. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. We can't do that. You've got to give us a greater faith so we can accomplish this monumental task that you've asked us to do. And the Lord Jesus said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Jesus says, you don't need a greater faith. If you have a true faith, even... As small as a mustard seed, faith in Christ, you can obey Christ. You can accomplish great things. And then in response to their request for increased faith to do this thing, to do this incredible task, this impossible service, Jesus says this in verse 7. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? And then Jesus turns this picture around and looks straight at his disciples and he says, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now, that is an incredible picture. The first thing I want you to see from it is basically just the expectation of a servant. To show the disciples the attitude they should have regarding serving Christ, Jesus uses this picture of a master and a slave. The word servant is the word slave, bond slave, if you will. Now, first of all, this is not Jesus condoning harsh slavery or anything like that. He's not saying that the master in this picture is right 
to treat the servant in the way that he's treating him. Jesus is using a well-understood picture of the reality of the day to make his point. The point is to show the heart that the servants of Christ must have as they serve Christ. The bottom line is this. As we serve the Lord, we can never think that our service earns us anything. We can never think that our service is somehow putting God in our debt. Servants don't put the master in their debt because they serve. Now, the picture of this master and this servant that Jesus illustrates to his disciples, make sure you hear this. If you don't, uh, I'm not going to say that because I want you to hear everything, but hear this. The picture of, that Jesus paints asking these questions about this master and servant idea in the first century is not teaching us how Christ, our master, treats us, his servants. Earlier in the book of Luke, this very, very book, Jesus told the disciples what he does as our master. In Luke 12, 37, he says, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. So Jesus, our master, did come to serve and not to be served. He did take up a towel and wash the disciples' feet. He does invite the servant to come and sit at table with him. He is a good master who treats his servants with love and respect. So Luke 17 isn't teaching us how God deals with us, his servants. It's teaching us the proper mindset we should have as his servants. Are you with me? Okay. And when you look at these questions Jesus asks in verses 7 through 9, these questions he asks disciples, we first understand that a servant is expected to serve. That should be a given. In verses 7 and 8, he says, Will any of you, he's asking these questions of his disciples, proving a point, making a point. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? The answer to that question, it's a rhetorical question, is no. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? The answer to that question is yes. The servant who spends his day out in the field, plowing, keeping sheep, whatever he's doing, when he comes in from a hard day's work, he's expected to continue serving until his duty is fulfilled. The servant's work day is not over when he finishes his outdoor tasks and comes in from a long, hard day. His duty isn't complete just because he's tired from working all day and he's probably hungry as well. His service isn't finished when everyone else is at the table eating. He's not invited to recline at the table with the family. He's not invited to come and not finish his task just because he's had a hard day today. His day is finished when he fulfills his duty because that's what servants do. They serve. The servant of Jesus should understand, we have to understand that first and foremost, we're slave to Christ. If you've been born again, your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. And the expectation of your whole life is to glorify Christ. Before salvation, we were slaves to our sin. 
But we've been purchased, redeemed from the slave block by his blood. And now we're slaves to Christ. Both Paul and Jude in several of Paul's letters and the letter Jude writes in the New Testament refer to themselves as slaves of Christ. Disciples are bond slaves of Jesus. We belong to him, spirit, soul, and body. And we, we think, as we think about our service to our, our master, we have to understand that the servant is expected to serve. It's not out of the ordinary or some strange phenomenon when God calls us to serve him in difficult places through difficult circumstances among difficult people. It's not just an unfortunate lot in life when he calls us to give of ourselves, to lay down our time and comfort, to serve others in his name without seemingly receiving anything in return. It's not inconvenient. It's not just an inconvenience when we're called to obey Christ and expend our lives with one another for his name. That's the basic expectation of a servant. God's highest goal for you, church, you believer, his servant, is not your comfort. It's not your ease. It's not your best life now. His highest goal is the glory of his name and your growth in holiness. And if we understand that, ooh, we got quiet all of a sudden. If we understand that, we should also understand that as his servants, we don't earn rights before God by serving. Jesus says the servant, when he comes in from the field, he doesn't get invited to sit at the table with the family. He doesn't earn the right to be part of the family by his service. Jesus makes the point that the master doesn't owe the servant any favors or any special treatment just because the servant does what the servant's supposed to do. In this picture, the servant doesn't stop being a servant just because he served. And the master is not indebted to the servant. The servant's just doing what he's supposed to do. And look at verse 9. It makes it even worse. He says, does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? The answer to that question, rhetorically, is no. The servant shouldn't expect praise or thanksgiving or thankfulness for simply doing what he's supposed to do. The servant in this illustration is not doing the master a favor by his service. He isn't going above and beyond. He's giving what he owes as a servant. It'd be like you going to your boss Monday morning and expect him to laud you and praise you and thank you up one side and down the other because you came to work on time. No, that's what's expected of you. That's part of the basic expectation of the job. You don't deserve praise for that. That's what you're supposed to do. That's the bare minimum of what you're supposed to do. Often when we serve Christ, especially in long and difficult ways, we think because we have served, God owes me something now. He owes me blessing. He owes me happiness. He owes me peace. He owes me whatever. Wrong. 
There's nothing that we can ever do that puts God in our debt. For the believer doing what God commands in our own lives and in service for his name is what we already owe. It doesn't put God in your debt. It doesn't earn you special privileges. It's what you already owe him. Boy, we have trouble thinking this way. I have trouble thinking this way. I know it's true. I know it's true. But when it comes time and I'm tired and I'm frustrated and I've put my life on the line, not literally life on the line, but I've laid my life out there to serve in some kind of way, have a hard time thinking this way. Heart gets selfish. Sometimes it's reflected in how we pray, we, how we bargain with God. Have you ever bargained with God when you pray? Don't answer. You all know you have. We all have. When we face some hardship or trial or, or when a particular command seems too difficult for us to obey or when the consequences of our sin come face to face with us, instead of just praying for God's mercy and grace uh, that we need to be faithful, we often bargain with him. Go, Lord, if you'll just take this trial from me, if you'll just let me slide on this one command, I, I promise I'll obey you in everything else. I'll stop doing this thing and I'll start doing that thing. I'll give more of my time to serve. I, I'll, I'll get more involved in the church. I'll love others more. That's not a bargain for God. You already owe all that. You already owe anything that you try to bargain with God for. You aren't offering something that you shouldn't already be doing anyway because of who God is. Jesus brings this point home as he himself applies this picture of master and servant to the disciples themselves in verse 10. In verse 10. In verse 10. There it is. He says, so you also... When you have done, he's talking to the disciples. So you also, when you have done, look at it, all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Notice the language here. He looks at his disciples and he says, when you have done all that you were commanded, when you do absolutely everything perfectly Holy, righteously, everything that you were commanded to do, even then you should say, we are just unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. We've only done, word duty is a derivative of the word owe, owe in Greek, like, like you owe, an obligation. We've only done what we owe. Believer, if you could look back at the end of the day and say, today I have done everything. Everything God has commanded me. If it were possible, you say, I have not sinned, not one single time today. Today I have loved God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength, and I've done it perfectly. I have loved my neighbor as myself absolutely perfectly. I've served Christ today perfectly. Every single thing he commanded, and I expended myself in service without frustration, without anger, without resentment, without any of that stuff today. I did it perfectly. Even on that day when you've done everything perfectly, you are to say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. Unworthy here means I'm not owed anything. If you could live 
a day in perfect, absolute obedience and faithfulness to Christ, on that day, you still only gave him what you owe. You've not put God in your debt. I have to get this through my head. You have to get this through your head. On our very best day, we're not giving God anything he doesn't deserve already. He's not owed already. We're not putting God in our debt. And we certainly aren't earning rights or or making our standing with God better by our service. And make sure you understand how this fits into the context, why we read verses 1 all the way to 10. Because when we think about serving Christ, our minds often run to, you know, the outward acts that we do. And that's, that's good. It should. We, we are to do, you know, manual labor or, or helping someone move or feeding people or mission trips or evangelizing or leading worship or teaching or preaching or, you know, those ministry things, those helping people things. And that's good. That is serving Christ. But remember the context of this chapter. Jesus told the disciples they're to forgive one another. Seven times in a day, he says, if they repent... Come to you seven times in a day, you're to forgive them. We know from the other other gospel, he means every time. Seven times, 77. You are to forgive them. And the disciples realize we can't do that. Increase our faith. Grow me so I can accomplish this really big task that you want me to do. Just say, you don't need increased faith. You have faith the size of a mustard seed. And then he shows them their real problem. Disciples, to forgive in the way that I'm telling you to forgive, it's not some special great feat that you accomplish and deserve a great reward for. It's what you already owe Christ. The service Christ is talking about here is a life of serving physically, yes, in ministry, yes, in your life, in obedience to Christ, yes, but it also applies to your heart. It applies to how we love one another. Paul uses this same word to owe, or the same word that's translated duty here in verse 10 in Romans 15.1. He says, we who are strong have an obligation. We owe it to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Why? Because Christ has done so for us. We serve Christ in our obedience to him and we, our service toward one another because we are Jesus' servants. And we, when we do serve him in every area of our lives, in our hearts, in our lives, in our actions, in all that we do, even then we are to recognize you haven't given him anything you don't owe. So to be prideful about it, to be frustrated when we don't get the thanks that we want, to be resentful that, that I'm having to do this all the time. and God doesn't owe you anything. We have only done what we're supposed to do. Listen, as his servants, we don't earn special privileges. I already said that. We don't earn special privileges because we serve him. We deserve no praise. We deserve no thanks. We deserve no special treatment. We deserve no reward. We've only done our duty. I know I see some questions rolling around your mind. Just hang with, hang with me. I'm going to get there. But really, let's be honest with ourselves. Has there ever been a day of your life when you could look back and say, Listen, I have done all that the Lord has commanded me. I mean, every single thing. 
Today, as I look back at my day, I'm laying in bed at night, and I look back on my day, and I've done it all. I have done it all in word. I've done it all in thought. I've done it all in deed. A day of, listen, not just refraining from doing wrong, but a day where you did absolutely everything exactly right according to the law of God. The answer to that question I'll answer for you is no. The truth is our whole lives are spent not doing everything that we're commanded. Our whole lives are spent failing to serve as he's called us to serve. And here is the amazing thing. Are you ready for it? Well, you're going to get it anyway. You might as well say you're ready for it. Here's the amazing thing. It's true that even if we obey perfectly, God owes you no reward for your service. And it's also true that you've never obeyed perfectly. We failed in every way. But in God's grace, God still says, I will reward you for your imperfect service. Somebody can amen that, surely. In eternity, we're told there will be reward for service that we render here. He will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. There are blessings in this life that come from obedience and from serving Christ. We, we see the, this all through Scripture. There is reward. Even though our service is imperfect all the time, every time, He promises that He will reward us. He doesn't owe it. He doesn't have to. But he chooses to, when God rewards us for our imperfect service, when, when someone thanks us and is appreciative when we serve them, or when we come to glory and there are rewards for the life that we lived and the service that, that is not something that we earned. It is a gift of God's grace that he chose to give. Amen. So don't take this parable, this little, and say... That, well, this is how God treats his servants. No, it's not how God treats his servants. This is how humans treat their servants. And that's why Jesus is using the picture. What he's showing us is how we as servants, what kind of heart we should have. We're not earning anything before God. We owe him much more than we've ever given because none of us can say, I've done every single thing I've, I've been commanded today. And yet God still chooses to let us sit at table with him. To, to serve us as if we were the master and he the servant. As he, God chooses to reward us in lots of ways in this life and in the next for the imperfect service that we offer. But he doesn't owe it to us. Listen, why? If, if we're not putting God in our debt, and I can't claim that I'm owed some blessing, some crown, some whatever, because I have served imperfectly at best. Why do we serve him? I mean, I'm looking at you guys and I'm thinking, Jason, you're not, you're, you're not making a real good case as to why I should be serving. Why do I engage in serving Christ by serving one another, serving the community, serving the kingdom, evangelizing, making disciples, serving Christ, obeying him in my life, following him? Why? Why do we live for him? We do it because he's already given you 
more than you can ever repay. He's given you everything in himself. He's given you Christ. He's made you a son or a daughter. When you go home, read the next section, verses 11 through 19. It tells the story of Jesus healing 10 lepers and one returning to thank him. We are so often like that. We've received this gift and, and all of a sudden we think, well, because I did something good today, I'm owed something. And we get bitter and we get resentful when we don't receive the reward we think we should get for what we've done. When the reality is he's given you everything in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then on top of the gospel, he chooses to reward you in other ways when you imperfectly serve. That is, a, that, that's unexplainable grace. Listen, we serve not to earn anything before God, but because he's given us everything. He saved us by the blood of Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, kept the law of God perfectly, gave his life on the cross to pay for our sin. And by grace, through faith in Jesus, we're united to Christ. God has adopted us. Now make sure you hear this. So now in Christ, we are not just servants. We're his children. We're his friends. John, he says, I, I don't call you servants anymore, but I call you friends. The friend knows what the master's doing. So when we engage in serving Christ, we're not this meager servant eking along, abused by his master, receiving no benefit no, we're children of God. Serving Him as adopted children, co-heirs with Christ, friends of God. Believer, if you're a believer in this room, we serve a master who has already given way more than we could ever desire or work for. More than we could possibly imagine. And that is the power behind a life of service we can lay our lives down in service to him because he laid his life down for us we can forgive one another even seven times in a day because if you're honest you've needed his forgiveness more than seven times in a day we can love one another not because, make sure you, don't take me the wrong way, but not because we're lovable. We love one another because our true love is not one another, it's Jesus. And Jesus loves that other person, just like he loves me. The gospel is not just the center of our life, the center of our walk, the center of our relationship with God. It's the center of our service as well. Jesus said to Peter at the end of the book of John, Peter, if you love me, you will feed my sheep. Now, we are to love one another, but make sure you, he didn't say, if the sheep are lovable, make sure you love them. If the sheep treats you well, and I praise God for First Baptist Church, you guys are good to me, and I love you all, and I hope you love me. He says, if you love me, Jesus says, 
then you will feed my sheep. We do it because we love Jesus. Believer, listen, we serve because he's worthy of it all. He's worthy of more than we can ever offer him. And in his unfathomable grace, not only has he give us, gave, given us perfect position in Jesus Christ, called us holy and blameless in Christ, saved us, adopted us, and redeemed us in Christ, but in his grace, he's also promised to reward the imperfect service that we do. Oh, we owe him. We owe him much more than we can ever give. Today, if, you're, if you don't know Christ, this is, this is his call to you too. You need to know that you can't earn anything. You need to know that you can't do all that he's commanded you. You haven't ever done all that he's commanded you. And even if you did do all that he's commanded you, you'd still just be an unworthy servant having earned nothing, only done what was due. So how can a sinner who can't do all that was commanded, how does a sinner ever become a son, a daughter, accepted by God? By grace through faith in Jesus Christ. When you trust in him, you entrust your life to Christ. By faith, God justifies. He declares that you are righteous. He saves you. He forgives you. He declares you to be holy in Christ, to be righteous in Christ, though we ourselves are not holy and not righteous in heart. So today, do not. My greatest fear in preaching is that someone will walk out the door at the end of one of my sermons and think, he's right, I need to go and do better. That's true for all of us. We all need to go do better. But that's not how you get right with God. Go do better. Go be better. Go work harder. Go obey better. That's not how you get right with God. Trust in Jesus and let him work in your heart. Because our master is a good master. He's not like this master. Our master is a good master. Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, you've been working your fingers to the bone to be good, and all you got is bony fingers. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. Jesus says, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Yoke is something an ox wears to pull, pull the cart or pull the plow. You are going to put on the yoke of Jesus. He is going to be your master. But he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest for your soul. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Give your heart and life to Christ. And believer, let's serve him with reckless abandon because he deserves it. And he's given us so much more than we can ever repay. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the truth of your grace. That we can never, we can never repay what you have done. We can never put you in our debt for you have given us not only, not only standing in Christ, not only salvation, but you do choose to reward imperfect service as we offer it. God, you are so good to us. You are so good to us. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my heart in serving. 
God, I pray that you would help us to go forward making disciples as we worship, connect, serve. God, I pray that you would help us to do so with hearts that are grateful and filled with praise and thanksgiving for who you are, for you deserve it all and more. Lord, and if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that has been trying to be good and do better and work their way into right standing with you, work their way to heaven, God, I pray you would show them the impossibility and the futility of even trying. None of us have done so or can, but you give us salvation through grace, by grace, through faith, and that they would turn their hearts to you today, entrusting themselves to you, believing that you died, Jesus, you died for their sin, believing that you rose from the grave to declare them just and holy because you have substituted your life for theirs. God, I pray that they would receive you today and that they would trust in you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As always, I'm going to stand right down here in the front. I'd love to pray with you if you'd like to come. Will you stand?